How are we today, EBC? We good? Happy spring break. Woohoo! Teachers and students are excited, right? Okay. We're so excited about you being here this morning in our third service. How many of you think this is the second service? <laughs> uh, happy time change Sunday. How many of you are excited about that? Are you excited about the time change? Yeah, some of you are. No, some of you aren't. How many of you time change Sunday makes you grumpy? Would you raise your hands? Yeah, for a few days, right? A few days. How many of you, you know for sure that it makes the person sitting next to you grumpy? Would you raise your hand? How many of you, I just got you in trouble for the rest of the day? Probably you, right? Right? You know, and so we're excited you are here, as Bruce said a few moments ago. Thank you for being here with us today, being here with us on Time Change Sunday and spring break. That's kind of a a perfect storm for low attendance, but look at this. You guys are here. You made it. That's big. We are continuing in our series called The Eye of Our Beholder. What we are talking about in this series, Pastor Randy opened us up last week, and we're trying to gain God's perspective about things. We want to begin to see things the way that God sees things. And so uh, it's important, you know, that we begin to see things God's way. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go with me to the book of James. I think we still have smoke going. Can we turn that off, please? It's getting smoky. Okay. All right. Look with me in the book of James. While you're turning there with me to the book of James, I have this special skill as you're turning there that I want you to know about. And, uh, and here's what my skill is. It happens a lot with interactions that I have with people out in public. I may go to a grocery store. I may just go be at the park or maybe I'm at a, one of my kids' uh, sporting events or something like that. And I run into people oftentimes out in the community, right? Because I'm out in the community too and I live here. And, but here is my skill. I have a way of making people cry whenever they see me whenever I'm out in the community. And and, and sometimes I don't even have to say anything. And I'm not just talking about babies crying when they hear my voice or anything like that. That happens in all the services, okay? And uh, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about I will make eye contact maybe with someone out in our community and maybe they know me. We go to church together. Maybe we grew up together because I see a lot of people. But I'll see people and I'm not just talking about and forgive the gross generalization women, okay? Sometimes you're more prone to cry than we men are, although I am an emotional person and there are many emotional men, okay? But here is, here is the deal. I'm talking about some manly men that I run into out in the community that I don't even have to say anything sometimes. All they do is see me and they start crying. It happens. But oftentimes it's whenever I ask this one question. I may say this question here. It's not a, it's not a profound question. It's just a simple question. And here's the question. How are you? And oftentimes people will turn into tears. I mean, tears will just start welling up in their eyes. And, and I, I think it most likely has something to do with probably uh, they know who I am. They know what my job is. Part of my job is walking with people through some of the darkest times in their life. And, so, and people are going through things. People are going through difficulties in their life. And, and, you know, and so whenever I ask that question, what's the question? How are you? I mean, I ask you guys usually every week before I start preaching, how are we doing? You know, uh, I don't know if because they see me, it makes them think about that loss or that difficulty or that problem, you know, because they see me and they think about their relationship with God or maybe the relationship they have with the church. And I always feel bad when I ask that question. And many times I'm, I'm not, you know, it's just more of a, how are you doing? Howdy kind of thing. But I'll ask the question and oftentimes, and I'm talking grown men will well up with tears sometimes streaming down their face. I always feel embarrassed for them, not for myself, you know, 
know, uh, because I'm kind of used to it. That just comes with the job. And, uh, but I often feel embarrassed for them, and it can be an embarrassing situation for them, kind of like an experience I had. One time I went to a Boswell football game, and I was there to watch a football game, and I needed to go to the restroom. Uh, we pastors do that too, okay? And, uh, and so I went to the restroom to do what men do in the restroom. What do we do, men? We go to the restroom. We're not in there for conversations, are we, men? We're not in there to talk. We're not in there to powder our nose. We're, we're in there to do what you do in the restroom. Go to the restroom. I'm not in there. We don't even like to make eye contact in the restroom, right, men? We won't look at each other. You certainly don't look down. You're looking straight ahead, all right? And that's what we're doing. And so, anyhow, I was in the restroom, a guy that I knew very well. You're like, did he say that? I did. Okay, we don't. And uh, a guy that I knew very well, uh, we grew up together. Uh, he comes to this church from time to time. He walked in after me, okay, and I was the only one in there at that point. He comes in right after me. I'm trying not to make eye contact at any point, you know, but I make eye contact, and I recognize him. He recognizes me. We were were friends. We kind of grew up together as well. I looked at him, and I asked a question. What's the question? How are you, right? And I'm saying howdy, and this manly man in this restroom, tears well up in his eyes, Tears start streaming down his eyes, and I'm like, I don't know what to do for you right now. I at least feel like I need to go wash my hands, okay? And, and so this is going on at this point, and he's, he's kind of crying. And he begins, though, and, and, and I'm joking, but in all seriousness, he was going through one of the hardest times in his life. And I had asked a question. He saw me. It made him think about it. And, and I just said, how are you doing? He's going through that. And uh, I just began, to, he began to share with me the difficulty in his life that his family was going through. Now, he's, he has tears. And again, this is a manly man. And we're standing there together. Another dude walks in after all this is going on. And this, my friend has tears coming down his face. This dude comes in, looks and sees that we're talking and he's crying. He looks at us, he turns around and walks right back out. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what's going on in there, but I don't want any part of this. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what that guy thinks is happening in this restroom. I don't know. But anyhow, my friend began to just share with me about the hard stuff going on in his life. And I listened to him at that point. That's what I do. And I listened. And I just started, he was telling me about some of these things. And, you know, and I was, I was at that point when it was opportunity for me to talk I just, and we're still in the restroom there, I'm trying to, to help him gain God's perspective on kind of maybe what's going on, I'm not trying to fix his problem, but just begin to see things a little bit differently, and that is hard to help someone do whenever toilets are flushing, I'm just saying, all right? But just, I was just kind of reminding him of God's presence in the midst, that he's not alone, that he has a church that loves him, that we want to walk with him through stuff together. That's why it's important to connect. That's why you want to be in a life group. You want to do life with people. You don't need to be by yourself in this. You know, it's what I was telling him. And, you know, you're, and, and I remember saying this to him. I remember saying this. And, and again, I wasn't trying to dismiss his problems. And I don't want you to feel that way if you have problems today. We're not going to dismiss them in any way. But I remember saying this to him. I remember saying, you're going to get through this. I'm not going to tell you it's going to go away. It may, be, it may hurt a lot as you go through this. You, it may last a while. It's not going to go away automatically just if you come to church or just because I'm going to pray for you right now. You're still going to walk through some stuff, but I just need you to understand something. It may not be painless. It may not be quick, but God has a way, doesn't he, of taking messes in our life. 
And sometimes we can't see it at that moment, but God has a way of taking messes in our lives. Sometimes we make the messes. Sometimes it just happens because life is just hard sometimes. And the world is broken. And we go through things and, you know, and, 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 I, and I just said, you know, God sovereignly is at work. And I know that you can't see this right now. I know you can't see it. We have a limited view. We have a limited perspective. This is right now an opportunity for you to begin to know that one God is with you and that, that, that God's going to walk with you through this and you can trust him in the midst of this. In the meantime, it's going to hurt. In the meantime, though, you don't have to live in despair and feel hopeless. God's with you in this. He's with you. And this week I had another opportunity to connect with an old friend. This was a different meeting, but he tracked me down. He was one of my old high school coaches. He tracked me down and uh, found out, or he knew that I was going to be a pastor. He knew as a pastor in the community, he's been trying to get in touch with me for the last couple of, uh, couple of uh, months. We finally connected. He called me, left a really cryptic message that he wanted to meet up with me and tell me some things about his life. And I was really going into this meeting. We met up at a coffee shop around here, not really knowing what in the world he was going to tell me. I mean, uh, I, I had no idea. It was just kind of, kind of a bizarre contact that he made with me. And we sat down to drink coffee, and I'm wondering where this is about to go. Is he going to try to sell me Amway? What are we doing here, okay? And, uh, and so I asked the question. What's the question? How are, you? How are you? I asked the question, and he said, as tears welled up in his eyes and began to stream down his face, he said, Bart, I called you here to meet up with me today because I want you to know something. I have leukemia, and I'm very sick. And I don't know how long I'm going to live. But there are some things I want you to know about my life that, that you don't know. You see, I was, a, I was a teenager and I was a Christian when I became a junior in high school. Actually, a little bit before that. But I really started following Christ with everything I had my junior year and my senior year. And he knew that. And he was, he was a, a Christian, but he said, I was very shallow, you know, I, I really didn't walk out my faith. And I had my, he, this is what he told me, I had my eyes really more on things in life I look at right now that just didn't matter. Stuff that didn't matter. And he said, uh, that's all you really kind of knew about me was I was more just kind of a Christian that didn't really live out the faith. And he said, I just didn't want you to remember me like that. When you knew me as a teenager, my faith was shallow. I really cared about stuff that didn't count. And I just don't want you to think, when you think of me, to think about that. I want you to think of other things. And this is what he said, Bart, I have in the midst of this struggle, I've gained a whole new perspective on life. As I'm going through this sickness and this illness, and that's how I want people to remember me, he went on and said, God has taken this sickness in my life, and it's been hard, it's been very challenging, it's difficult, my family is struggling in this as they watch me go through this, and I'm not angry with God, I've had moments where I've been really frustrated, these difficulties though, and this is what he was telling me at this coffee shop, we're having coffee as his tears are just, you know, welling up in his eyes, and he said, these very painful times has cultivated the soil in my life that for most of my Christian life has been very hard, which means the roots of my Christian faith have been very shallow. And he said, then storms would come through and just kind of just wash me away and I'd, I'd just be carried away. But he said, now God has used some tools in my life. God's used some things to till this soil up. And you know what's happening now, he said? He said, my roots are growing deeper and deeper and deeper in Jesus. And that's how I wanted you to remember me. I wanted you to know that about me because I want you to do my funeral. 
That's a heavy conversation over a cup of coffee. And now I was the one in tears. As he tells me this story, and he said, I want you to know these things because, one, I want you to know this. Number one, as a teenager, and I was this coach over you, you made an impact in my life, even as a teenager, that you didn't know about. That's a whole other lesson, right? And that was, that was a great encouragement to me. He said, secondly, he said, and I wanted people who are special to know this. He said, secondly, whenever I do pass away and you do my funeral, I want people who love me and know me to know this, that even in the midst of this tragedy, even in the midst of my sickness that I'm going through, I want them to know that I believe, and I want to say that through you to them, that I believe that even in the midst of this, God is still good. And I want them to know that about me. And I want you to let my loved ones know. I want my loved ones even to experience that, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's a problem. Yes, it's a struggle. Yes, it's tragic. But God's character doesn't change. God was with me in the midst of this, and he took me to deeper places in Christ. He then began to tell me how in some of the difficulty in the last year or two, as he's gone through some certain things that have been very difficult, how his son, his oldest son, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, that's been great. And he said, in the midst of that, I want my son who has very shallow roots right now for his roots to grow deep in Jesus. And I know that that it comes through difficulty. Whenever the soil gets tilled up, when we go through things in our our life, and, and this was a conversation, I'm telling you right now, I will never forget this conversation. It was so incredibly powerful. I mean, we met for over an hour there as he's sharing about his life and all the things that are going on. And this was my coach, and he was very special to me. And now hearing what God has done in his life, hearing that God even used me as a teenager in some way, you know, I mean, it was an incredible conversation. But I, I walked away from that talk thinking to myself, asking myself, I wonder if I were given news like that, how would I handle it? Would I handle it with that much grace? Would I feel the same way? Would I, would I still believe God is good if I was told about a tragedy, you know, that was going to happen in my life or, or, you know, if someone in my family was sick in that, you know, would I handle it in that same kind of way in the midst of, of the, the anger and the hurt and the frustration? And, and I know my, my coach went through times like that and goes through times like that because he's human and he said that he did, but he said this, he turned his, he turned turns it all back to, the, the, to his faith in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. There's this stark reality that every one of us, every one of you that is here, every person who's been in all three of our services today, that we have to understand and face, and here is what it is. In this world, we all will go through hard times and trials in our life at some point. Amen? Every one of you will. Every person here goes through something. You're in the middle of something now. I told you a few weeks ago whenever I was preaching, I couldn't go into details, but I just said on that day I was preaching, I just said, would you just pray for me today while I'm preaching? Because I had a hard week. And that was a week that, I, and I didn't go into great details about it, but I just said, I need strength today as I preach. It had been a very challenging week. We pastors and pastors' families, we go through hard things too. We're not exempt. We don't, we don't get an exemption from hardship and difficulty. And I didn't go into the details that day because I wasn't really at liberty to. My, my wife earlier uh, on that weekend had received a call uh, from her doctor when she'd gone in for uh, a doctor's appointment. 
He called her back once before she, to do another test before she got home on a Friday night. He was calling again. Uh, the office was already closed, but they felt it imperative to call her to let her know that something that they were seeing uh, in, in one of the scans that they had done did not look right. And so she was told that going into the weekend, but they weren't able to tell any more information. But he said, I want you to know, I want you to know this. We need to schedule you for a biopsy next week, okay? We want to get this in, do this as quickly as we can. And so at that point, Hope's left with that whole big nugget of truth to deal with, right? We were going into that night. My daughter's little birthday party was that night. So we're, she's just telling me this. We're dealing with this. We're trying to you know, put the, the, the smile on for Trinity for her birthday party. And we're grappling with, what is this going to mean? What does this mean for us? What does this look like? That same weekend was the weekend that's the anniversary, uh, was, I believe, the, uh, the anniversary of my, of my brother-in-law, Dan, who had passed away a few years ago and who, who we loved so much. And was, so it was that weekend, too. She didn't want to share it with her sister, who is her closest friend, because she didn't want her bearing that. On that same weekend, so we were kind of bearing with that that week. That later as the week goes on, she goes in for her biopsy uh, and, and has that. Uh, this, the night of, of her biopsy, that night, I get a phone call from my son, Luke, who was on his way home from work at 11.15. His number comes up, his face comes up on my phone, and I'm thinking, oh no, because he normally just texts me. I'm thinking, what is this going to mean? He calls me, and he's very upset, and he says, Dad, he said, I've had a wreck on Boat Club Road. I'm in trouble. Can you come to me right now? <laughs> Rough week, right? And I left. I went right away to where Luke was because I know how treacherous that road is, and there have been a lot of folks that have lost their lives on that road, and whenever I got to where Luke was, I realized in assessing the wreck, then when he told me what happened, the police were there and all this, how close it was. My son was nearly in a head-on collision on the, one of those curves on Boat Club Road where he didn't he overcorrected on, uh, on that, and, and that happened, and he nearly was in a head-on collision. Praise God that he wasn't. The, he was okay. The other driver was okay. You know, uh, we found out the next day that Hope's biopsy came back clear, praise God. But here is what I take away from that week, okay? What I take away from that week is recognizing this, how one phone call, we had two that week, but one phone call can change the entire complexion of your life. You guys know what I'm talking about? You get one call. You know, and the next thing you know, you're in the midst of a storm. You're in the midst of some stuff, hardships, trials, persecutions, you know. And, 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 and I know that some of you are in that place. I, I, I was given that week a sensitivity from the Lord of understanding this, that some of you who have gotten phone calls like that, maybe it didn't quite work out as favorable for you as it did for us that week. And you're still grappling with some of that stuff. And you're still trying to work through some of those things. And you're going through one of the hardest times in your life. The Lord made me more sensitive to people that weekend as I was preaching that some of you have gone through some hard stuff this week. 
And you're in here today and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to get through it and you're trying to wonder, you know, you're wondering what in the world is God doing in this situation? Can God do something with this? Some of you who are struggling today, I don't want in any way for you to hear in this verse of, this verse of Scripture in James 1 that we're going to be looking at. I don't want you to hear in any way me saying or James is not saying get over it. Okay, because your problem is legit. Your problem is real, okay? But we do have to ask the question, are our problems in our lives as believers, are they all just arbitrary? Are they all pointless? Or is there some purpose that God can use and bring about in our problems? Can God do something with our problems? Why is it that two people, and you can even have two believers that both know the same Jesus, who go through very similar situations, and they both struggle, but why is it that some will be washed away and others will flourish and grow? It's still hard, but they will flourish and respond in a different way. Have you seen that before? I've seen it before. Some handle things differently. Why is that? I mean, I really think it boils down to this word. If you're taking some notes, write this down. This won't be up on the screen, but it's just a word to write down. It's this word perspective. There's a different perspective. There's a different view. There's a different outlook. So today I'm not going to give you a get over it theology. I don't believe that's what James gives us. I don't believe that's what the scripture gives us is a get over it theology. Like just get over that, you know. That's not what we find. But I do believe that what he begins to give us and what the word of God gives us and what we'll call here is a more of a getting through it theology working through it, getting through it, not just getting over it, but getting through it. How does God see our problems as believers? What's our response in the midst of trials to look like? I love what the Dutch priest Henry Nguyen wrote about this and said about this regarding suffering and pain and hardship in our life. Listen to what he said. We fail to see the place of suffering in the broader scheme of things. That's that 35,000 foot view, right? We're kind of caught up in the midst of the problem. We can't see past it. We're caught up in the problem, okay? We fail, he says, to see the place of suffering in the broader scheme of things. We fail to see that suffering is an inevitable dimension of life because we have lost perspective. That's a key word. We fail to see that unless one is willing to accept suffering properly, he or she is really refusing to continue in the quest for, what's the word? Maturity. The quest for maturity. To refuse suffering is to refuse, say it with me, what does he say? Personal growth. To refuse it is to refuse personal growth. So there is a place, there is a, a purpose, there's perspective of hardships in our lives that God has. Look with me in James 1, and you should know if you're not familiar with James that this is most likely James was the, the younger half-brother of Jesus that wasn't a believer until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he saw that his brother was indeed the Messiah, he became a great leader in the church. And so he writes to a group of Christians that I think you can relate to and that I can relate to. They're a group of everyday, blue-collar, working-class Christians. Uh, some of them were greatly impoverished. They were impoverished, many of them, because uh, as they were going through financial stresses, as they followed Christ, oftentimes their family would turn on them. Many times they would be ostracized in their community if you follow Jesus Christ. And people 
people wouldn't buy from them or they couldn't trade anymore. And so they were going through some difficulty. They were going through uh, oppression by wealthy ruling authorities of their day. Many of them, and this is where many of you may relate to this, were brand new believers. They were brand new Christians, new converts to Christianity. And James as an elder was concerned about these new converts going through hardship. He was concerned about what they were going through. Many of them were very, most likely, immature in their faith. And they had been blindsided by a hardship. uh, And we're going to be now having to encounter that. And he wanted to kind of instruct them through it. How do you get through it, not get over it? Their faith was new. Their faith was fragile. Some of you are here. You're newer to your faith in Christ. Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time. But you've never developed roots like my coach talked about. You've been a believer for some time, but you've never grown in your problems. You've never been able to grow through them. And so the same thing, maybe the same test comes in a different way. Maybe in some some cases, God brings you through the same test again because you've not grown through that one and he's wanting you to grow at some point. I'm not saying he does that every time, but sometimes he does it like that, okay? Uh, and, and so maybe you're a fragile believer in your faith and you're in a hardship now and God's concerned about you. Maybe you're a fragile believer and you're about to go into one and he wants you to be prepared. Well, here is the thing that these believers in James's day in the first century were finding out. They were finding that out that it's not always easy to follow Jesus. In fact, sometimes when you choose to follow Jesus, sometimes life can even get harder in this world we live in sometimes the heat gets turned up for those that want to follow christ they were finding out that being a disciple of jesus cost us something it's costly to follow christ and they were discovering this you know uh and what about you have you found that to be true in your life that when you actually decide maybe you'd say today man i'm gonna follow jesus And maybe you've done that before, but you know that when you do, the attacks seem to escalate. Have you discovered that? The attacks from the enemy seem to escalate. Um, uh, You know, when you start trying to live for Christ, uh, you'll find that happen. and, And oftentimes it just gets difficult. And there's a great temptation in that. Maybe you've heard in your faith uh, or your faulty way of thinking, you know, is that as, as, uh, as, as someone maybe taught you, maybe some guy on TV taught you that when you become a believer that life's all going to be easy now and you're going to get healthier and you're going to get wealthier. You know, sometimes that theology is preached and sometimes people espouse that. And then whenever the wheels come off, then they're really left trying to figure out what in the world has happened. What did I do, God? Sometimes God does bring discipline in our lives, but sometimes it's just the broken world we live in. And you didn't do anything, right? We just live in a messed up, broken world that is not going to be fixed until Jesus comes back. In some ways, as you follow Jesus, new trials can even settle in. Maybe because of your faith in Christ. Maybe your family has turned their back on you now. Maybe they think you're weird now. Maybe because you want to follow Jesus and you're going to start following Jesus. Maybe, maybe people are going to treat you differently at your, at your place where you work or they have as you've started following Christ. Maybe you won't compromise in some of the areas you used to compromise in. And so there's a little persecution starting to happen, right? Maybe, maybe you've even lost your job or you've lost clients or you know what I'm saying when you start following Christ it doesn't always get easy sometimes it gets harder 
And these believers were experiencing this. Sometimes we're like, man, I don't get this, Lord. I'm trying to live for you right now. I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know, love you and follow you, Jesus. And it seems like the more I do that, the more the wheels come off. In my life, I don't understand this, Lord. What's the deal? And it's in these times of crisis and trouble and tribulation in our lives that there is this, this opportunity that our enemy slithers in like he did in the Garden of Eden to begin raising questions about this just as he did with, with our forefathers, with Adam and Eve. What did he say? Is God really good is God really good or is he holding out on you? Did God really say those promises he made to you? Is God really going to care? And that's what he does. And he works his way in and he starts kind of developing that mindset, uh, you know, that maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe God just doesn't love me. Write this down, okay? In the trial that you're in, there is a great temptation, there is a great temptation. In fact, this word that we're going to look at, trial and testing, they're actually, it's the same word, parasmos, and it means these trials and temptations. And they kind of go hand in hand because there's temptation that happens in the midst of the trials. Man, this thing is so difficult. I'm going through, God. God, have you forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? Maybe, God, you just don't love me anymore like I thought you did. Maybe, God, you're just really mad at me. I must have done something. That's why you're afflicting me because I know all these other people that they don't even care to follow you. And, God, sometimes it just seems like they're flourishing and I'm not. Have you ever experienced that? It's like, I don't get it, God. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I follow Jesus and the wheels come off. I don't understand that. You see, there's great temptation in the midst of the trial to begin to think that way, to start thinking like that. I know you felt that way. I felt that way. And this is exactly what James's audience that he was writing to, they were feeling in their fragile new faith. Have you abandoned us, God? Is this all pointless? Am I, are we just suffering this persecution for nothing? Are you not going to be able to do anything with this? And he's going to share with them some biblical perspective concerning trials for a believer. So before I go any further, let me ask you this. Has everyone here been through some kind of problem? Or maybe I should ask it this way. Have you, has, is there anyone here that you've never had any problems in your life? Would you raise your hand? So far, we're batting 100% where hands have stayed down. Every service, I've not had one jokester say, that's me, you know, or anything like that. Every one of you have said, no, I go through stuff. In fact, what I would say is that if you're not in it right now, you probably just came out of it. Or it's probably on the horizon. And so I don't say that to discourage you, but James actually addresses this. If you're not in one, you're either coming out or you're getting ready to go into one. You, don't you love how relevant and applicable God's word is for all of us, right? So nobody raised their hand in the sense of I've never had problems. That means this message is for all of us, every one of us. Okay, so how do I as a believer begin to get through it, not get over it, but just getting through it, working through whatever it is you're dealing with right now? Number one, write this down, and we'll find this in the Word. We need to gain a proper perspective. We have to begin asking God to help us see things differently. 
As a believer, that's what we, we ask God for help in seeing things the way he sees things. Because right now in the midst of your problem, you are kind of going through maybe uh, what you've heard the old proverbial saying, we can't see the forest because of the trees. Do you know what that means? It means that you're, the trees are right in front of your face. So you can't see the bigger picture right now. You're dealing with the tree that's right up in your face, right? And, and so that's what, what happens to so many of us. And I'm one of these where I can get distracted where my eyes come off of Jesus and my eyes are really more on the problem. And then I can kind of start being overwhelmed by how big my problem is. And so this is where many of us are at. But if I'm going to make progress through my problems, if I'm not going to just get over it but get through it, I've got to gain, and for some of you, it's regain a proper perspective. At some point, you had perspective, but now you've lost it, maybe because of the problems you're in. Maybe what God would do today is help you regain perspective, his perspective on your problems. He's not overwhelmed by your problems, right? We are, but he's not overwhelmed. He's not, he's not up in heaven wringing his hands about what he's going to do about our problems. You see, we got to begin to gain perspective. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, now in verse 1, we're not going to read it, but in verse 1 he says, I'm writing to the churches who are scattered. Do you know why they were scattered? Because persecution was intense. And now they were scattered abroad because of the persecution. And now look at what he says in verse 2. Dear, say it with me, church. What does he say? Dear brothers and sisters. Who is he writing to? Christians. Dear brothers and sisters. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Notice he doesn't say if troubles of many kinds come your way. He doesn't say if, it's not conditional, he says when, the implication is clear. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that, and you follow Jesus, that you clep out of life's struggles and difficulties. You don't clep out, you don't just get to miss it. In fact, as I said, sometimes the heat gets a little, a little warmer, sometimes it gets a little more difficult. I've never met a person who hasn't gone through something. Everyone goes through things. The world's broken. It won't be fixed until Jesus returns. Notice he says this, troubles of many kind. The word actually means this. It's plentiful. He's talking about plentiful problems. It's not one and done. Wouldn't we like to think, okay, I finished that problem. I'm done with problems in my life now, right? Does it work like that? No. Okay, but but this word, it means plentiful. It means this. And James is not trying to be discouraging. He's just saying this. They're going to keep coming. Problems are going to keep happening in this world. Okay, this is what James is saying. I remember whenever I was a youth pastor before I became uh, another minister. Uh, But before I was a youth, when I was a youth pastor, I was I was at a camp and I was dealing with a student and he and his girlfriend just broke up. Life was over for him okay do you guys remember what that was like and you know at that point i was kind of listening to him and i was thinking there's a lot of immaturity here he's going through stuff but life was over and i remember thinking this and he i remember him saying something like this i can't wait 
And he was in tears because I said, what did I say? How are you? Okay, no, I didn't. Um, but, but he said, I can't wait till I get married one day because then I just, I just know when I get married, I just think that life is going to be so much easier, you know, and, and I won't have these problems in relationships like I have now. Now, someone who had a little different perspective and had been married for a few years, okay, um, my reply was something like this. Oh, you fool. Let me speak to you. <laughs> no, I didn't say that, okay? But, but, but I was thinking in my mind, he really has no clue, right? You don't really understand what's on the horizon coming for you, young one, okay? Was what I was thinking, okay, at that, at that particular point. And we all know that marriage is nothing but bliss, right, ladies, right, okay? It's all bliss, right, men? There are no problems. It's smooth sailing. As soon as you say, I do, it's a piece of cake, right? Is that how it works? But it was funny, but that was the perspective. That was the mentality. If, you know, that was his thought. It was at this particular moment as if I could just, you know, if I could just get through this problem, I'm not going to have any more relationship problems. And I'm like, oh, man, you're just getting started. You're really just getting started. So there's this thought, what James is, he's not trying to discourage. What he's really saying is, rather than just keep asking over and over again, why do all these bad things happen? Hey, we just know this. It's a broken world right now. It happened because sin broke the world. It's messed up right now. The only time it's going to get fixed is when Jesus comes back and we're living in a broken, messed up world. Instead of constantly asking why, 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 why all the time, here's what James is suggesting, you know, and being surprised that bad things happen in the world. Peter even says that. Why are you surprised at the fiery trials you're experiencing? James and Peter were on the same page. They knew that this was just the world we live in. What if what James is saying is instead of always asking why about it, just kind of accepting that we realize there's brokenness in our world, you know, why does this bad stuff always happen to me? What if we just realize the world's broken and we live our life, uh, you know, with this mentality that instead of always questioning why, what if we said, God, would you help me start viewing it differently? Because they're going to keep coming. And you can keep looking at the problems the same way over and over again, or you're going to keep going through the problems. You can start maybe growing some in the midst of the problems. You can start developing. Here's a key thought. Write this down, okay? I can't always change the circumstances, but I can change how I view and deal with the circumstances. What we often try to do, sometimes you can fix the circumstances. If you can fix them, fix them. But a lot of times there's nothing we can do. Are you with me? Where you get more stressed out is when you're trying to fix all the circumstances that can't be fixed. That's where at some point we have to say, God, I can't do it. You're going to have to do this. In the meantime, I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust in you that you're doing something even though I can't see it. Okay? I can't fix, I can't always change the circumstances, but here is your part in this. God does his part behind the scenes. What's your part in this and what's my part? My part is saying, okay, God, will you begin to help me view things differently? Will you begin to help me grow in these problems as some of them are tests of my faith? Uh, you know, James said, when they come your way, when these trials that are ongoing, these seasons of trials continue in your life, when they come your way, you don't have to go out looking for problems, do you? They kind of find us. 
And I, I thought about this this week. It's kind of like when you're walking along. I like to go out to Eagle Mountain State Park and run out there. And some of the places, you know, if I get there before anybody else, you go on the trail and you don't see. I hate the dreaded spider web, okay, that you don't see. And you're running along or you're walking and it like goes, whew, and it engulfs you. And you're like, ah! And you're like, get this off of me. And if anybody sees you doing this, they don't see the problem you have on you either. And you look crazy at that moment, right? You know it's there. You don't have to go looking for it. It seems like it finds you, right? And the language he uses is it's as if, they, it's as if you collide with these problems and you kind of find each other. And that's the language he says. You don't have to go looking for them. They're just going to happen. That happens in our life. And so instead of always asking why, you know, maybe in the midst of this is, God, what do you want to show me in this? How do you want to teach me right now? God, I would really like it if you would take this away. But what did Paul say as he asked the same thing? He said, but God told me. Sometimes God says no. God says, I want you to grow right now in this. I want your roots to go deep. I want, I want the soil to be tilled up in your life. I have plans for you. I'm going to use you in your faith. I'm going to use you in your hardship. It's not all pointless. James is saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, when problems happen, you actually can have a different perspective than an unbelieving world around you. He's saying it's possible for you to go through this differently. Because there's something that's in your life that others don't have, all right? I'm going to be honest with you. Whenever I was a teenager and I came to faith in Christ and I was reading through my Bible and I was a new fragile Christian, I was reading this passage in James and I was reading it and the the version I was reading said, consider it pure joy, you know, as you go through trials of various kinds. And I did not get that. I thought, James must have never been through any problems, what is he saying here? I mean, I, in fact, I'm just going to be honest with you. That verse greatly annoyed me. I was annoyed by this, and I'm like, I don't really, I don't know if I like this. I don't like that he's telling me I should have joy in the middle of my problems, you know. Is James saying I just need to put on a big fake smile? Is he saying I'm supposed to pretend that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, joyful in this? What is he saying here? Is James just being cruel? Hey, I know the wheels are falling off for you guys right now. I know life is tragic for you, but isn't this just so joyous? Is that what he's saying? Is that what he's saying right here? You know, it'd be like today going, oh, I just found out I have prostate cancer. Praise the Lord. And, you know, and you'd look at that person and you'd be like, wow, they have some either very strong, strong faith or there's something wrong with that guy, <laughs> right? Because, because we know this, we're human, we have emotions, we go through hardship, there's difficulty. What is he saying here? The exhortation first sounds a little foolish. It first sounds naive. Is James not living in the same world I'm living in? What is he saying? Notice it doesn't say this, okay? Act joyous. That's not the imperative. He doesn't say, okay, everyone, act joyous. 
in the moment you encounter trials. When that trial happens, you want to act joyous at that moment. That's not what he's saying. I also don't want you to think he's dismissing the emotion they were going through. He's not encouraging them to be fake. He's not wiping away their pain or grief. He's not encouraging them to be unhealthy and working through grief and emotion and things like this. This word count or consider, it's a mathematical term that he uses here. And it literally means this. It means to calculate. It means to take into account the bigger picture in your life is what he's saying. What he's saying is as a believer who has Jesus Christ in your life, you need to count what is happening to you in a completely different lens and you can do that than a person who doesn't have the hope of Jesus Christ in their life. You can actually see things differently. He's saying, what he's saying is consider the reason why joy is even possible in your life. You know why that is? It's because you have Jesus. Jesus is in the equation. Jesus changes our perspective. He might not take the problem away. Sometimes he does. But if he doesn't, he changes and he can change our perspective. Jesus changes and he gives us hope. We know this isn't the end of the story. We know there's more to it than this. He's saying you can count on the fact that Jesus is doing something Jesus is advocating for you to the Father. He's praying on your behalf. He's walking with you in this. In his sovereignty, he can use this in ways that your brain cannot comprehend it right now because his ways are higher than our ways. But here is what you need to know. He never wastes our pain, but sometimes we do. He never wastes it, though. He's always doing this, and, and, and because of Jesus being involved, the Christian can find joy in this. You can know, I can't see it right now, but I can know because I believe in your character, God, that you are working this for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. I'm not saying everything's good. Paul's not saying everything's good. James not saying everything is good. He's saying God can still work in the midst of all of this is what he's saying. Look at what he says in verse 3. For you know this, that when your faith is tested, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Write this down. Just because you go through a trial as a Christian doesn't mean you automatically grow. You have a part in it. And your part is beginning to seek God in this. And, you know, because you can go through the same problem over and over again and never grow and stay the same. And maybe if God is bringing discipline in our life, which sometimes he does, like he did with the children of Israel, right? When they were out and God was bringing some trials in their life and they never passed the test. What would he say? Give me another lap around the desert. You need to grow. He's wanting us to grow. You have an opportunity to grow. Look at what he says. So let it grow. Let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing, all right? That word tested, where he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, it's actually the word proved. He's saying when your faith has been proven, the trial is a basis for which my faith in Christ is being tested. Your faith can be validated, you know, for many of us, it's easy to follow Jesus when everything is going well. Although we often grow indifferent in those times too, don't we? But he's saying the test of your faith is when it's really hard. 
And then you've got to choose to exercise your faith and actually grow. It's like muscles on our body. Your faith is like muscles. If you don't exercise them, they get weaker and weaker. But when you go through resistance, that's what makes us stronger. It makes you stronger as you grow in the Lord to begin to believe that God can sovereignly work through the bad in our life to make it into something that could be good. This word for endurance, it literally means this, to cling to, to abide in, to dive into, to sink deeply into. And again, I can't help but thinking of what my coach said to me. He said, Bart, for most of my life, I had these really shallow roots And then the storm would come and it'd wash me away and I'd be over here for a while, you know. And he said, it wasn't until God really started cultivating the soil and the hardship, my roots started growing deeper. And now I'm diving in deeper into Jesus, right? But it only comes through trials. And through testing, this is called a sanctification process. It's what Pastor Randy talked about last week. In the fiery trials is where God is taking some of these things, these impurities out of our life, like the, like the gold that gets heated up and the dross rises to the top and the, the goldsmith scrapes that dross off of our lives to purify us more, okay? It's like whenever Michelangelo was asked to create the statue of David, he was asked, how in the world can you take that? big chunk of marble and make a David out of that. And you know what his reply was? That big chunk of marble is David. I'm just chipping away at what ought not be. That's a different way of looking at things, right? And this is what's going on in our life in the trials. This is why we consider it joy. God's teaching us to lean into him, to sink into him, to cling to him, not our own self-sufficiency. The Christian view, the Christian can his view can be one of joy because we can know that God is working even though I can't see it right now, which leads to this, write this down. How do I get through it? Not get over it. We are to respond in faith, not by sight. We are most prone to respond by what we see in the natural. He's saying if you're going to get through this, you have to start practicing your faith. You have to actually put faith into practice here. And this is what he's trying to challenge them in this book of James, is to put your your salvation, this faith you had in Jesus, into practice in the rest of your life. To let it flesh out in the rest of your life. Look at what he says. Now, here's what you need to know. You're in a problem today, right? Maybe you're not, but you'll go into one. You need to know this as a believer, and this is why you can also have joy, is you don't have to go into it alone. Look at what he says. You pray. If you need wisdom, who needs wisdom? I do, right? Ask our generous God. If you need wisdom about your situation, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. This word wisdom that he's speaking about is not a worldly understanding. It's the wisdom of God that goes beyond our ways of thinking. What you're saying is, God, will you begin to help me see things the way you see things? Will you start changing me? Will you start changing my perspective? God, if you would change the problem, great. But if you won't, change me. Change me how I view it. And to begin to see it the way you do. And it's not like God is like, oh, you're, you're asking me for this. No, I don't think so. 
You know, that's not what he's like. He says he will not rebuke you for asking. He wants you to say, in spite of all of this, God, I don't get it right now. I I don't understand why me, why now, why is this happening? I don't get that. But here is what I am going to say, God. I still believe you're sovereign. I still believe you're good. And I'm going to practice my faith in this. I'm going to offer that up to you in faith. I know you're all knowing. I know you're all loving. I know you're sovereign. I know you're all powerful. God, would you begin to, as you place me in your hands, I know I'm in your hands. Would you begin to change the way I think about this? I want you to know that when you pray a prayer like that to God, that is a precious prayer of faith. And it pleases him. It is the greatest sacrificial gift you can bring God is when you can't see it but you say God I believe I believe you've got me I think of it like this all right I I think of it you know let me just actually let me read this passage and then I'm going to tell you just a quick thing that's a faith that pleases God he says but when you ask him be sure that your faith is in God alone Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Have you felt unstable a lot? Like it's like wavering, you know? Is he saying that you can't struggle? No, that's not what he's saying either, okay? And I think of it like this. I was, teach, I think, I was thinking back whenever I was teaching my kids to swim, and uh, I remember specifically Luke, and I would be in the deep end, and I would be like, okay, Luke, come to Daddy. And I would be down here, and Luke would be like at the edge of the pool. I'm in the pool. I'm in the deep water, right? And I'm like, come to Daddy. I'm going to teach you how to do this, but you got to get in. I'm not going to force you in against your will. I didn't do that to him. I said, I want you to jump to me. You come to me, and what do we do, right? If you've taught your kids to swim, they come up, or maybe you did this, and you're like, uh, and you know, and you're like wavering, and it's like sometimes you're like, no, I don't think so. You know, another time, but, but so, at some point, they come up to that place. Daddy's in the deep end, right? Daddy's there. Daddy's going to catch you, and it's like at some point, you have to just dive in. But here's the deal. If you don't dive in, you're never going to learn to swim right? So at some point you have to go, I don't know how I'm going to learn to swim. I don't know how, God, you're going to do something with this. But God, I'm going to get in here with you, and I'm going to trust this, that you got me. That's what he's talking about right here. That is what he's talking about, is you come in. At some point, you got to commit. You got to say, God, I'm going to have faith in you. I can't see it right now. But you're doing this, and here's the last thing, write it down. When we do this, we receive God's blessing. Do you know what his blessing is in that? Joy. It starts happening in your life, and you don't even understand how you could have joy right now in your problem. My coach was kind of freaking me out a little bit as his joy was bubbling out of him as he's talking about his leukemia. I'm like, wow. That's why I walked away going, God, I... I want to be sure I have what he has, that joy. Give that to me, God, like him. We receive his blessing and his reward. Final scripture, skip down to verse 12. Look at what he does. He blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation, and afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who, what does it say, church? Love him. 
loving. Okay, and so what he's saying is, I'm going to bless you not only in this life right now, and you're going to have peace and joy, the fruit of the Spirit right now, but I'm going to bless you one day when you get to heaven because you were faithful. The crown of life, you're going to have that. It's a reward that he will give you. So let's just bow in prayer right now, okay?